Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, a weekly podcast on happiness and work culture. Hi, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can click on See More Episodes and leave us a review. I'm always ready for you to link into me. I've told you that before. So here's what's coming up. Next week, we've got Richard Reed, the founder of Innocent Smoothies. And we chat about how the culture at Innocent gave them a sort of unexpected added advantage as they achieved one of the most unlikely business successes of the last 20 years. That's fun. The week after, we've got Emily Reynolds and Louise Ridley talking about the professional implications of the Me Too movement. I saw the Me Too movements listed as, as one of Time's People of the Year or Movements of the Year, I guess. And Louise and Emily talk about how they've helped form an organisation, Second Source, to help women come forwards in their workplace. Then there's a break for Christmas and uh, we've got some good stuff coming up after that. Sounds good? Good. Remember me on your Christmas lists. Today's episode is a discussion with David McClements. And David runs an international training and consultancy firm called Whitewater. I saw David talking recently. I wanted to chat to him. Just to, I was so fascinated with what he was saying. We have an in-depth discussion about burnout, about energy management. To a large extent, it sort of forms a bit of a summary of a lot of the discussions about the impact of overwork that we've that we've seen over the last few weeks. And uh, it's sort of a, a good bookend to some of those discussions. David really talks about the philosophy of rest that we see exhibited in athletes, amongst other people. How professionals who, who need to maximise their achievement manage to be ready when they're called upon. Along the way, we talk about sports people. Sports people are always an interesting metaphor. It's never a perfect parallel for office work, but definitely gives you perspective. And I think his insight into the approach of people like Chris Hoy, British cyclists, is just a really interesting reminder that sometimes our take on energy isn't always the obvious one. No further ado, nice short episode today. Here's David. So David, why, why do you think so many people are feeling overwhelmed with work? From where I see it is technology. So technology has driven a lot of the speed of change, for, for good or bad, but what it has also created is an inability to switch off. When I started work, when you left work, work was finished. You had left work. And you would start work again the following morning when you came back in. I think Blackberries was the first big change in that, which was you can now get your emails and you can get them all the time. And I think the blinking light on a Blackberry was the start of the slippery slope. Because of that access, 
what we fell into was because we can do it, oh, I might as well do it. The speed has gone has gone ridiculously. The technology is there to be on all the time. You have people trying to contact you from all over the world, and we've ended up trapped. If I'm not doing something, I'm not being productive. That can lead people down a very, very dark alley, uh, and it has led me down a, a dark alley in, in my own career. At one point, I was on my BlackBerry at home, and um, my daughter turned around and said, Daddy, will you please talk to me? And it was a massive, massive moment in my life, which was, what am I doing? And it was because I had a red blinking light that I, that I couldn't ignore. I mean, firstly, the remarkable thing is that for anyone who is too young to notice this, people begged to get that email on their phone. It was an office, it was an office status symbol. The people who got a phone with email on, they'd won. Senior executives all got Blackberries, and then everybody wanted one. And I have to say, for the first little while, it was an amazing thing. And one of the great ways, it all depends on how you use the technology. One of the great things about Blackberries was if you had a commute, the commute could become useful. It would be, right, work away, work away. The problem was, when we got home, it didn't stop. An awful lot of peak performance is not about how much you do, it's also how much you stop and recover. And another part of that perfect storm as well of people feeling overwhelmed has been the advent of open plan offices. The problem with open plan offices is that people are interrupted on a regular, regular basis. You've got the technology to be on all the time. You know, I can't hide anywhere uh, in the business. And you've got more people trying to get hold of you from across the world. And what gradually starts to happen, mission creep, as I call it, is this thing just starts to seep into our entire way of being. And also the fact that the technology itself means that there's other stuff we want to be looking at. So it breeds this, if I don't have this in my hand, I think there was a recent study about asking people whether they'd like prefer to lose their wallet or lose their phone. And I think it was something like 85% of people said, oh, I'd rather lose my wallet. <laughs> so it's, I've got to have it, I've got to have it, I've got to have it. As a result, the notion of not doing anything has become almost obsolete. It's just, we'll just stop. I had the author of Rest on a few weeks ago, and Rest talks about how some of the big iconic people, the people we regard as incredibly prolific, whether it's Charles Dickens or Charles Darwin or Haruki Murakami, who's written countless novels in Japan, and they only work four or five hours a day, and they work in the morning. And I think we've got this idea in our head that more is more, you know, that longer is more. Absolutely. And there's an awful lot of macho nonsense that goes with that. So... In the not-too-distant past, it used to be almost a status symbol as to who can be emailing at the most ridiculous hours of the day and at weekends and expecting things to happen, which then gets people into a psyche that I can't stop and stopping is failure. Not doing something means I'm failing in some way, which is totally wrong. I mean, it's so badly wrong that it has caused an awful lot of damage. For example, if you look at some of the work by Dr. Tim Cantifer on depression, he has a little trick that he likes to do, which is when people come to him and they're, they think they're depressed, without them telling him anything, he says, I bet you are like this as a person. The shock on people's faces 
is, oh my goodness, how do you know that? And the, the title of his book, Depressive Illness, The Curse of the Strong, is all about it's the strong people that end up falling over. And the reason why they do that is because they will keep pushing. And they will push harder than most people, which means that they will push to a point where the switch goes in their head. And that it is not weak people who are falling over like this. These are motivated, highly talented people who just run out of steam. They just can't keep going anymore. It sort of turns the whole paradigm of, you know, how people think about mental illness or whatever, that actually, do you know what? It is not weak people who are who are ending up like this. This is this is the incredible folks who turn around and, and go, Well, what have you got to be depressed about type thing? This thing about the idea of stopping meaning meaning failure. Um, we were discussing earlier about the not taking holidays and things like that. Where organisations who have unlimited holiday policy, which is amazing, have the least number of people taking the least amount of holiday. Because taking the holiday seems to then signal some form of weakness or lack of commitment or whatever. And also, you see, one of the things that drives me nuts, when I go on holiday... The big thing for me is I'm on holiday. That that was the purpose of going. I don't want to be sitting on a beach working. The idea of going away was to not be working. And I've been on holidays myself where I've seen people sit at the pool all day working. But that's interesting because to empathise with that person around the pool there, that person is on their phone probably not out of any sense of status they're not doing it for signaling i suspect having been in that situation but more to try and manage this torrent of work that's coming at them in a unmanaged way actually there was something that really struck me a friend of mine worked at spotify and spotify is a swedish company and the founder of spotify takes six weeks off every summer which is very antithetical to uh, to the U.S. mode. As the company was globalising, one of the things that they were confronted with is that there was probably a lack of understanding about that pattern of behaviour in, in New York, in Silicon Valley. And his response was to say, yeah, there's going to have to be some change and I'm going to try and inform you guys how to take a proper break, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is fantastic. fantastic. But it's an interesting one because to do that, you have to try and illustrate to people that their pattern of working is broken. And normally it's the hard workers who win the day. So whether it's Elon Musk or Marissa Meyer, all these people signalling they're working a billion hours a year. Yeah. They tend to win the debate. The interesting thing about the comparison between work and sport, for example, um, if, you, if you look at how sports people, elite sports people train, where they get the most value is actually in their resting, not their training. Because it is in the rest that the body repairs and, and sorts itself out to enable more training. So steroids are often a misunderstood piece of kit in that they don't actually allow you to perform better, they allow you to repair faster. That is their purpose, which means you can train more because your body can repair itself more quickly from the previous exertion. So I'm not suggesting for one minute we try to go on steroids, but the, the purpose of that is to, is to see that if you are not taking a break, it is inevitable that the level of your performance will go down. If you take that and translate that into a working environment where people are not taking proper breaks, and these can even be to the extent of the desk lunch, 
which is another classic mode of behavior nowadays. You know, a lunch lunch, actually walking away from your desk and being away from your desk for lunch is for the week. People end up going, I'm going to have my lunch. And what they do is they walk away, they buy a sandwich or something, sit back down again. It just never stops. And then we wonder why people feel overwhelmed. It's because there is no ability and there's no space for us to step back, reorganize, repair, if you like, and then go back at it again. I saw a brilliant thing with Sir Chris Hoy not all that long ago who was talking about his training regime. It was astonishing to to hear what he was coming out with because everything about what he was doing and how he would be successful was about his legs. It's all in his legs. Therefore, how does he take care of his legs? So he said, if I could sit down instead of standing up, I'd sit down. And if I could lie down instead of sitting, I'd lie down. Get out of here, that's amazing. Everything is to save my legs any more exertion than necessary so that I can train harder. Get out of here. Right, so what you... Well, it's what, the opposite of what you thought, wouldn't you? Like, that sta- you'd have thought, you know, someone like that stands up all the time. But what he's seeing, he's not seeing it as a sign of weakness to sit down. It's like, okay, wow, mate. If, if I can sit down rather than stand amazing. up, and if I can lie down rather than sit down, I'll do it at all times for, for years because that is what it would take to be able to compete at that level. So so when he came to train, his legs were so fresh. So fresh. The idea was train like hell and then allow yourself the ability, the space to repair and rest. But we don't we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Often the barrier to an individual making the the changes that they need to is that, well, it's not really accepted in the team or the department doesn't really work like that. Or, well, us as a business, this is not the way we work. So you're trapped. And that's a treadmill. Over time, it takes its toll. I've been there myself. And because people like me don't stop. That's what was in my head, is to be successful, you just push and push and push and push. The challenge, though, is that... For all your Chris Hoys who succeed on that basis, most offices are filled with people who signal their machismo, don't they? They signal the fact they're working longer and harder, they're doing more, and consequently, they often end up being the ones who win and then start writing the rules. So you hear about people who are like, yeah, I've introduced an 8.30 meeting, uh, which I heard from someone recently, and I've someone else abolished lunch hours at a place who was that. And of course, all of those things seem superficially like we're working harder. Like, you know, when you hear a football manager calling people in for a double training session, we're working harder. And the, o- the only thing that wins is more. All of the science, it's why like the, these these podcasts have been fascinating. Science just doesn't back up any of this of nonsense, lay machismo. There is, there is no science that would back up the idea that all of that's smart. We go through different phases, though, in the growth of a business. So when a business first starts, part of the great thing about it is that you're working till 11 o'clock at night and it's pizza in the office and we're creating something here and it's fantastic and that energy is necessary um, in order to make that happen. The thing about this sort of stuff is it's not just about success, it's about sustainable success. It's how can we make this happen over a longer period of time? What many organisations take the view is, you know, the weak will fall by the wayside and the rest will stay. It just doesn't work like that. It can be difficult for individuals in that environment to actually get to do what they need to do. 
The enemy of productivity is moving from one task to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. So we talked about um, the difference between work and work work. So work is, here comes another email, answer the email. Here's Slack, better answer that. Here's this, better answer that. Work work is the project stuff. Work work is, this is the stuff that demands an hour of my time. This is the stuff that I need to focus on for a while. But people are too busy working, in inverted commas, to work work because they never get the opportunity. That's really interesting because recurrent themes that we've got is that when people get into a state of flow, when people get into a state of deep work, they feel more satisfied by it, they feel like they're making progress. And I think, you know, we all recognise that very easily these days you could spend a day just managing your emails and emails breed. The output of that would be pretty minimal. So do you think then, if you were sort of prescribing to people how to improve work is this about creating a set of personal rules or should a business is actually what we're talking about for culture in a modern business? It's like a set of rules that we suggest you work like this. Is it about autonomy or rules? I think it's both, actually. A big, big time saver that I'm trying to get through to all of our clients is use old technology. What I mean by that is the oldest technology that you have available to you are your legs. Get up and go and talk to people instead of emailing the person that's in front of you that will then email you back, which means you have to email them back. If you just walked over there, this would be done. And it would be done in about two or three minutes. The next old technology is pick up the phone. Phone people. You can have it sorted 10 minutes instead of creating that excessive flow. So there are personal rules about how you manage yourself, obviously. And at the same time, there are real rules which don't necessarily have to be totally hard and fast and become total policy. But as a general guide, when you take people on that journey, they appreciate it because they eventually go, do you know what, I really like, people like achieving things. But there seems to be, I get that, so right, you've got there, you've got some universal rules and, and actually it sounds in that case that there'd initially be a consensus and I suspect over time that would be just, that's the way we do things around here, so you don't need to, to re-establish it. But does there need to be more understanding then of you finding your own work patterns? For example, a lot of people would feel very uncomfortable just coming into work at midday, either because they've been dealing with stuff, getting on with stuff, presenteeism is so established in our mind as a demonstration of you working hard. It, it just strikes it strikes me that it's certainly t- with certain generations of managers, it's a hard one to shake off, isn't it? The fear of, well, what are they doing if they aren't here? I, I actually find that a bit bizarre. In my own management career, where, where I've had big teams in co- corporate life, I've basically said, I don't really care where you are. This is what I want as an output. This is what we need to deliver. And if it gets delivered, great. There's an organization in the States called ROWE, R-O-W-E, who are pioneering um, a concept called results-only working environment. We had Jody Thompson on. Fantastic. So when you look at that as a, as a way of being, people are just thinking, no, it'll be abused. It's impossible to abuse it. It's impossible. Because if people are clear about what they have to achieve and they don't achieve it, that's when you intervene. 
So I love Roe and, you know, Roe and the social physics book that you and I were talking about before, probably the two only two things I always recommend people to, to read. The, one of the pushbacks when we did that episode is someone tweeted, a guy, John Walsh, tweeted, he said, the issue is, is that Roe works really well if it's very clear what the outcomes are and the objectives are, but how many businesses truly can sit down and say, this is what we must accomplish in the next three months, specifically for every person. And he said, because work is open-ended, work is often a direction of travel rather than a finish line. The principle of that is fine, but the nuance of it, the truth of it is actually hard. The responsibility rests with the management of the organisation in that particular instance. Are they providing the level of clarity that that sort of initiative needs? Are people clear enough about what's supposed to happen. But the the flip side of the technology which puts us under stress is that I can email you from anywhere in the world. I could email you from the beach, although I think it's foolish to be doing so. What, what we need to get past is that presence equals progress. You know, that just because somebody's in the office, it means they're doing stuff. That's a crazy notion. I mean, it defies all logic. And also, the, the harder someone works, as in the longer hours they work, the more committed they are. What about the person who gets all their work done by 5.30, goes home, baths their kids, etc.? Who's more committed? We have to get past what we think work is. Um, now, the flip side of that, and sorry to go off on a bit of a tangent, is if you look at the, sort of the stuff that Simon Sinek's been coming out with about millennials, uh, a lot of which I very much sympathise with, is the flip side is, well, I want my, my working life should be the way I dictate it, uh, to which the answer is no. There have to be expectations from the business as to what people are doing, but not just going down a route of this is what we've always done. That makes no sense and more and more today if you could just take the commute off people their sense of achievement and less stress is massive so are you saying you take the commute off people by either saying they can work from home or take the commute off them by saying we know you're on your email traveling after the rush hour is it one or the other or is it i think it's a bit horses for courses really and sometimes it can be you need to change your approach with different people so there will always be people who would push that further than you would like and there are people who 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 don't but if somebody wants to do 10 in the morning till 6 instead of 9 till 5 30 or somebody wants to do 7 till 4 What's the problem? You know, as long as key meetings or key events are still still there, it doesn't matter. I just don't believe it matters. And at the same time, there is a, a strength of management needed in that situation to ensure that people who want to step way outside the boundaries of that are clearly instructed about what it's supposed to look like mm. and, and what it's not. It is the management of the organisation that has the responsibility to create the culture within it. Therefore, if people are running off feral, that's not necessarily the fault of the individual, often. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. But here's the issue, isn't it? No one ever got fired for saying you need to be in at nine and leave at six. And the challenge is, especially in a world that's more demanding, and you've talked about the sort of pressures, people find themselves working on holiday, not because of any reason other than the world feels demanding. So based on demands, pressures, demand to grow, then asking people to be in on time feels like a way to exert control. The challenge then is how do you embolden people to say, one, it does not necessarily mean it's not a sign of weakness to allow people to to work more flexibly no it's not a sign of weakness at all and the the key is where you see someone that is blatantly uh, abusing the privilege so to speak the responsibility is on good strong management which helps people understand where boundaries are and those boundaries can differ from person to person you know it is none of your business if this person does X, Y, and Z, if they've cleared it with me. I'm interested in what you said about the characteristics of people who often end up broken by work, mm. being not necessarily those ones who are less able or are less committed, but rather the opposite, the, the people who are so fully committed that they, they end up overstretching themselves. Absolutely. It's a very misunderstood thing, and mental health is becoming a more open subject to talk about and I think there are two things in the mental health space one is that there are more people mental health has come to the top of the agenda because there are more people suffering from mental health issues I think splits into two one is that more people are being open about it so uh, there's not necessarily an increase it's just more people are being open about it but also I think there's an increase that increase is being driven by what starts to become a sense of hopelessness, that you can never get ahead of this game. You're always running up a down escalator. And if you stop, you're gonna end up at the bottom. And what that does is as a natural instinct, it makes people push harder. It's a totally natural instinct to do. Weaker people, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, will give up sooner they will throw in the towel. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. But stronger people, in again in inverted commas, will push, and they will push, and they will push. And they will do what they think is necessary to survive. And unfortunately, survival instincts 
are often awful. So for example, the natural human instinct when someone's walking around the Kruger National Park in South Africa and they see a lion, the survival instinct says, run. What's the worst possible thing you can do? Run. If when people go scuba diving and they get into trouble when they're subsurface, instinct says, go to the surface. Going to the surface can kill you. People who get into skids in cars without ever being taught instinctively do two things. They steer the wrong way and they hit the brakes. What are the two things not to do? Those two things. That survival instinct can be really damaging. And what people do is they go, right, I've got to push, I've got to push, I've got to push. Now, if you take that pushing, pushing, pushing survival instinct and you look at the examples we just talked about, how do you get people to not bolt to the surface when they're scuba diving? You train them to think differently and you train them to do something different. And that means that when those crises points happen, they actually have the skills available to them to override what was instinctive to do, which would actually be more damaging. Mm. So often the environment within which people find themselves is they go, I only have one option and it's to do the instinctive thing, which is to push harder than anybody else. The big breakthrough for those people would be to teach them how to think differently and skills to do differently, which would mean if I'm not standing, I'm sitting. If I'm not sitting, I'm lying down. And those sorts of insights of walk away now, walk away and take a break. You will be more productive when you come back. It's that sort of thinking that we need to get to more people. How do we help them with what they focus on and their physiology and how they're looking after themselves. And this is not woo-woo, you know, new age stuff. As you mentioned earlier, the science is unequivocal on this stuff. It's beyond reproach. It's how do we get that in very basic terms into organizations? And that doesn't have to be by policy. It can be, we were just talking about what are the skill sets? How do you think differently? What do you do differently? Which can make you move forward in a more productive way rather than just, I will run until the gas tank's empty. And then my question is, well, when it's empty, what's plan B? What is your next plan? Mm. When you are literally, as happened to me, literally exhausted. There wasn't even a reserve tank anymore. There was nothing left at all. And then it was, well, now what's, what's the plan? Because that worked really well. I think some of these challenges also come from when you're young, and you first start out in your career, what you have at your disposal is an immense amount of energy to throw at your job and your career. What you do is that. You can work ridiculously hard. You're going out after work with your colleagues. You're maybe coming into work after being in a nightclub most of the night. You know, the stuff you can do is incredible. And what we do is we get into that pattern. And then as you get older, and maybe you get married and you have kids, and you're just getting older, you don't have as much time or energy to throw at this. But there's never been a plan B. Plan A was throw energy at it. Now what are you gonna do? And people are often stuck at that point. I don't know what to do. I've done this for 20 years. This has been the way I got on. But you can't do it anymore. But they don't know what to do. And it's a totally natural thing. So I think a lot of the work needs to be getting out to, to organizations and going, it doesn't have to work like this. It really doesn't. It's a fallacy, but you got to help people think differently and do things differently. 
Thanks for listening. Next week is Richard Reed, the founder of Innocent. We chat about the culture of Innocent. It's a really brilliant chat. And then a book he's put together, picking the brains of some of the the most cerebral influencers in the world. All the episodes are available on the website, eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. Thanks for listening. I'm Bruce Daisley. See you next week. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.